0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by. And without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. guys another episode of the gpp the gifted performance podcast where we give you the information and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness today we are talking sports nutrition with none other than the author of sticky notes sports nutrition himself go buy the goddamn book there's your plug right there just go fucking buy it mr roger shervez uh roger how are you and i'm well good 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 gentlemen paul hi and cameron cheek and we've got ava in the back ava what you doing back there Licking your butthole doing a little butthole licking just a little scratching never a a bedtime never a
1: bedtime (laughs) we'll probably see her throughout the podcast scooting her little asshole across the carpet It'll just be going
2: back and forth.
0: It's called self-care, Paul.
2: Think about it. Well, based on the conversation before the camera was rolling, that could be any one of us. So the fact that it's the fact that it's playing out the way it is is probably best case.
0: Perfect. Project mentioned Brian, you promised you wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> All right, so Roger, what is what? Is, what are the what are the latest happenings? It's been you know it's been months since we've had you on. What are the new projects looking like outside of the book? We will talk about the book, but what's uh what's been going on in your world? Staying busy in what are you, Rhode Island? I always forget. I'm in Delaware. I'm in Delaware. Delaware. Pretty pretty easy to miss, but I'm uh
2: about 200 kilometers east of Washington D.C. and about 200 kilometers south of Philadelphia, right on the coast. Um, What is going on? Um, Well, y- y- you mentioned the book, and you said we talk about the book, but the reality is there is something about the book you- you're probably not aware of. Is um, e- each quote book is really a chapter in the slowly forthcoming opus. So, the nutrition quote book is really meant to be just a chapter in a grander book, which I'm working on. All the various, you know, the 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 uh, HRT uh, TRT, you know, chapters coming forthcoming, and then an actual chapter on AAS and chapter on ancillary drugs and et cetera. So there's a lot of additional work just in the book coming. And, um, I guess really with me, the big news is, um, you know, just the, the athletes I manage the world is a shit show right now. So, you know, the, the Tokyo games are on again, off again, in flux, you know, the Arnold classics are postponed to the fucking end of time. So really the the big news is there momentarily is no fucking news. That's kind of the big news.
0: Yeah, it's kind of depressing. Um, now, a random question that I had for you, just because sure. I'm curious, when you sit down to write a chapter, a book, a section, what is your what is your process look like? How do you actually go about putting words on paper? Because everyone's got kind of a different way that they do things.
2: Well. Actually, that's a fucking fascinating question in and of itself. The reality is um, the sticky note concept came about an entirely different way. I have a staggering propensity. I mean, this is just my trash. You know note. Up? I was I about to make, the make the note. Note. <laughs>
1: I was about so, to make a joke that he just goes around and just grabs sticky
2: notes from everywhere, piles them up on a desk, and just goes through them one by one typing. not <laughs> a joke. It's reality. I, well, literally, literally, it goes like this. I write sticky notes just of all sorts of shit. Um, I use Evernote. Evernote has this very cool little feature where it recognizes the, the shape and color of sticky notes and then files them accordingly. So I literally just write sticky notes and then I snap pictures of them with my smartphone. They go off to Evernote and then either myself or my research assistant later then goes through them and calls them out and says, redo this only artier, redo this only better, add this word. And basically my schizophrenia slash bad memory slash just spastic desire to write sticky notes is the pro- the progenitor of Pages in the book, and then I'll have a sticky note that literally says, "Here, actually, just stay right there and show you." It's over here. One of my journals, and I just write sticky notes, and uh, let's see, you know, something like that will happen.
0: And then I saw that one yesterday. I saw that one that story yesterday.
2: Becomes, you know, that sticky note becomes the centerpiece of a page, and then I just start writing, you know, just literally pencil in text around it and it becomes, you know, it becomes a, a note. Now on a separate point, I got something out of college that most people probably didn't get. I did not get a lot of actual material. Like I didn't leave college with like, Oh, now I understand the Krebs cycle or no, I actually left university more with a process than, than an information set. I had a very, very good mentor is really the only word I could think of who taught me a very good method of distilling information. So I think maybe my sticky note thing came from that. When I read a textbook or any book, I write down very like bullet point fundamentals. Like here's a fact, here's a question, you know, stuff like that. And then I expand that and I expand that. Then later, I take an entirely separate sheet of paper and I distill that into the smallest, lowest number of characters. I have this distilling process that kind of ultimately, if it works properly, kind of goes from a chapter in a book to a sticky note. And so that whole like super distillation process is kind of my basic MO for my own personal way of absorbing information. And it was just very natural for me to convert that into, well, here's my version of a fucking book. It's basically just every sticky note is a distillation of some chapter in a textbook.
0: Yes, reverse engineer that. And it makes sense because it's it's taking these complex topics and even 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 the marketing itself, the naming of the book, Sticky Notes, Sports Nutrition is, yes, it's your process. It's sticky notes, but it's also like, hey, let's make sports nutrition easy enough so that we can put it on sticky notes so that the people who need to understand it, the coaches and the athletes who are out there, they can understand it because it's been simplified inside of your brain and distilled inside of your brain.
2: Right, and that's and when I it, it it's, it's interesting you bring this up because this is a conversation I really would never have because I just don't really give a shit about explaining myself. I, I really am just not that kind of guy. Um, but but here here's the perfect opportunity. When I finally finish the the tome, the opus of every chapter, you know, covering every aspect of this, what I will probably do, or at least what I should do. Is write some sort of uh, preface that explains the sticky notes are basically the equivalent of buying the cliff notes. You know the an- here are the answers, but it's still incumbent on you to go back and actually fill in the information gap between the question and the answer. So, you know, owning or under or even applying the sticky note sports. Nutrition or the sticky note, you know, TRT or HRT will give you the the correct information to get started, but it doesn't give you any of the whys. It's still incumbent on you to seek out the fucking whys.
1: But ultimately, like, that's kind of what's important to people and to coaches and being better at what you do. Like, you know, you could explain the process of protein synthesis, but like a coach doesn't need to know that. They just need to know you do this, this, and
2: this, and muscle gets bigger. Yes, a coach. A plug-and-play coach, yes, they only need the good answers. But in my opinion, the coaches that have the potential to be great coaches go to the trouble of figuring out the fucking why. No, I it's absolutely I useful. never I, I, I don't mean to be an ass, but I'm probably – You know, among the top 10 most knowledgeable people in the world on PEDs. And every single day I wake up just sick to my stomach. Like, how the fuck can there be so many gaps in my knowledge? How can I not know this shit? I I literally pace at night just fuck. So I think the whys are pretty goddamn important, which is comical that I published a book of answers with no whys. But nonetheless, I, I think that the whys are pretty goddamn important. But I also think it is incumbent on you being the the end user to find a wise, like, I'm not here to educate you. I don't, I don't even care enough about you. I don't, that's not my job. It's not my role, but in my own personal pursuits, I distilled these answers and I'm happy to share them with you for a mere 10 bucks. That's that's literally my attitude. No matter how bad that attitude is, that's my attitude.
1: No, I absolutely agree. Like knowing the mechanisms, the wise, like, it's hard to think critically without knowing, having deeper understandings and, like, when you do have a deeper understanding, you can also better recognize bullshit and, like, you know develop, develop new ideas that, that just make fucking sense versus just doing a bunch of shit that doesn't make sense, hearing shit and being like, oh, I'm gonna try this, and you could have already known that, hey, that was not, that was probably a bad idea, you know?
2: (laughs) Sounds like every contest prep I've ever read.
0: (laughs) So, Broder, give us a rundown on, and, and this is mentioned on the website, and we'll kind of put those links below. But discuss who the book is for, who is it not for. So we won't just talk about the chapter; we'll just talk. We'll talk about the tome as a whole, um, as you call it. I, I like that name for it. Um, Who's it for? Who's it not for? Um, and what was the big motivation behind behind writing it?
2: Um. Well, last thing first, and I and I don't. Uh, this is not even the slightest bit meant as sarcasm, although I'm sure everyone will take it as such. Um, the, the motivation was not to create a commercial product. The, the motivation was exactly what I said. I have this process of distilling things down to the most simplistic form. And I did that in enough different categories and vectors and, and areas that people became interested in in that, in the notes, in the material that i've collected to the point where people just literally started offering me money for it like i I will i just want that just sell me that like let me have access to your evernote folder and i'll give you this money and that in and of itself became the impetus for well i ought to you know have somebody other than me knock off the rough corners you know put some proper grammar and punctuation on this and, and and it's obviously worth something and that's literally actually where the website itself came from and then the the, the final iteration of the of this you know, kind of book um that that's that's where it came from as far as who it's for it's literally for that person that wants the correct answers with the, or at least to the best of my understanding and the best of my available abilities to supply um with the least amount of obfuscation marketing and bullshit it is just the correct answers that, nothing more no pump, no circumstances very little explanation it's not for the fucking show me the study assholes all of Menno Henselman's people can get syphilis and die, I don't have a paper one in this book, fuck them okay, if they want to find a paper they can spend their own energy to find a fucking paper that supports it, but rest assured when they finally look up the information there will be a paper because it's the correct fucking answer <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I think that just comes with understanding the mechanisms of what we're talking about like with your background in biology you understand what is happening in the human body you don't need a paper to tell you that because it happens every every single time it happens that way are there outliers sure but most of the time unless you're three standard deviations out from the mean. This is what's gonna happen when you do this, right? It's inputs and outputs. Yep.
2: And and unfortunately, that's not sexy. It's not interesting. It it doesn't come with any secrets. And that confuses people because, you know, as I showed you earlier, you know, simplistic minds crave complexity. And, And I'm not selling complexity.
0: Nope. So and and I think that transitions nicely into our discussion today, which is basically just on simplifying nutritional program design. This is something that people love to mental masturbate about. They love to make it as complex as possible. Timing these different forms of carbohydrates, intra workout, all of that. On the muscle gain side of things and the fat loss side of things so I'm interested in hearing your perspective here when you start with a brand new client you're setting them up for a muscle gain plan where do you actually start and then how do you work your way through that plan to hit that end goal of you're more muscular on day one hundred than you were on day one? well let me let me actually
2: make it even more simplistic than you started and and I don't mean to you know attack you but I, this is how I take this sort of concept people always do this you know again I I almost inadvertently attack the natural crowd because they have this fucking you know boner left boner right for you know I'm on a a mass phase or I'm on a cutting phase like there's somehow different things it's body building folks two words compound word body that's pretty fucking obvious building (laughs) that's pretty fucking obvious there's nothing else It's all about building. So what builds muscle? Exercise. What burns fat? Muscle. So we do the exercise to build the muscle to burn the fat. The fucking equation's over. (laughs) There's no phases. There's just just two equations. And you just fill in the variables and you run the equation. That's it. So every time I design something, it's about under the current available energy constraints, It's about generating the most amount of muscle and the least amount of fat retention. Whether that's a wild energy surplus or a wild energy deficiency, it's about building the most amount of muscle possible and accumulating the least amount of fat. That's always what I'm doing. So right out of the gate, it's
0: even more simplistic than you think it is. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> listen, I listen. I listen. I'm not I'm not over here to just we can fight after we, you know, we can we can throw down. But I, I want to ask some questions that I think that people grapple with. They shouldn't be grappling with them, but they I still see them pop up all the time. People ask things like, how do I periodize my muscle gain throughout the year? So they and they talk about it, you know, like you said, in phases of like, here's my, you know, here's my four mesocycles of of muscle gaining and then I've got my mini cutting resensitization period. But like you said, it doesn't have to be that complex, right?
2: No, and, and I think there's a whole bunch of words there added for marketing purposes that don't belong there. Is there such a thing as being overly fatigued and not being able to eke out progress? Absolutely. And in which case, if you want to use the language of deload, fine, you need a period of reduced stress to compensate for the gradual and eventual accumulation of stresses. So you do a number of mesocycles, you know, of escalating volume and escalating calories and fatigue accumulates to a point where you need to reduce said fatigue. So, yes, there's some whether you want to call it, you know, a deload or resensitizing or whatever. The real word for that. Circa Hanselier, circa 19, fucking 20, is called rest. It's as old as the fucking hills. It doesn't require extra words or extra marketing. It's called rest. And you insert rest. And then after the rest, you go, well, now what do I do? Oh, well, I go back to building muscle. And you start that whole process again. The, the the complexity is an artifact of people's desire to get something for their money. It's not science. It's not biology. It's simple checkmark Hanselier. Stress, response. Either overcome or get overwhelmed. Repeat, re fucking peat re fucking repeat. It's how you get calluses on your hand. It's how you get a suntan. It's how your cells are, your red blood cells oxidize. It's how all of biology works. It's that checkmark type deal.
0: Good. So I'm I'm a complete beginner to training. How do okay. I set? How do I set myself up? For, for decades of muscle growth. I think people are very focused on the here and now. How do I make yeah. sure that five years from now, I'm more muscular than I was, and then five years from then, I'm more muscular than I was, and I continue to make progress? Okay.
2: Well, the, probably the very first thing is <clears throat> understanding some very fundamentals. And outside of the first year, or sometimes even less than the first year, outside of that initial nubile I refuse to word, use the word noob. but outside <laughs> of that initial nubile, you know, unstressed scenario, for a natural athlete, even a natural athlete with excellent genetic potential, progress needs to be scaled against reality. You guys are all professionals in this business. Just independently, what is the average above average natural bodybuilder accrue in a year? Five pounds? I mean that that's probably robust. What do you would you say that's in the ballpark? I think that first year maybe a little more, but it tapers down. I'd say that over a career. Year of, uh, huh? What's up? Outside of that initial, you know, period of you know, shock and awe, the the year to year grind, the average natural athlete makes somewhere between zero and five pounds a year of progress. That seemed oh reasonable. Goodness yeah all right let's just let's just ballpark call that three pounds okay that that's how you first of all that's your expectation so you go all right what should i weigh 10 years from now the answer is maybe 30 pounds more than you do now so once you put that in place everything else falls into place what's wrong with this whole your know, bulk and cut and all this bullshit is those that demographic is comparing themselves to a demographic that has legitimate store-bought superpowers. And yes, myself and you know Ronnie Coleman and other people can gain 30 pounds in 10 weeks, but a natural athlete can't. And so they they kind of conflate the realities and basically just alternate getting fat and getting skinny and calling it progress. If you really just want to get linear escalations of muscle mass you need to move your expectations closer to that two pounds a year and then if you put that into two pounds a year and then you you know dial down and follow some of the sticky note parameters you go well mesocycles probably should be somewhere in the 12 to 16 week range you start breaking that down into 16 week brackets what's my actual rate of gain and you find out wow i'm really only gaining one pound per mesocycle, you know, one pound of lean tissue per, you know, 16-week escalation, which literally comes down to, you know, what, fucking 50 grams a, a week or something. It's When you start putting it in the proper context, all, I mean, all of these goofy concerns and goofy conflations go away. And but, honestly, oh, go ahead. No, no, go, no, go. And honestly, that is
1: even, in my opinion, still outside of the realm of reality, because a a natural, for instance, maybe over an entire career, maybe this may even be above average genetics, 20, 30 pounds of muscle over like yeah. an entire o- over three decades. And yeah, most of that was attained within that first three to five years. So yep. at year 10. You might be lucky to be a couple, but
2: hold a couple pounds more muscle than you did at year five. Like, but yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm being overly general and probably <laughs> overly generous. But the reality is, if you scale things down to an actual sensible expectation, almost all of these goofy convolutions go away because they're just not appropriately aligned with the reality we live in. This is an argument I actually had in, in reality with with. Mike Gisertel, Dr. Mike Gisertel, I sincerely believe that the modern concept of periodization actually is an artifact of drug use. It's not this highbrow intellectual, you know, oh, that's how biology works. And we're all, you know, we understand, you know, biorhythms and we figured this out. I really think periodization actually came from, gee, I found when I I take drugs, I get a lot stronger, a lot faster. and when I don't take drugs, I get a lot weaker, a lot faster. So maybe I'll just design my training to match that. I sincerely believe that's where periodization came from, not from some deep grand bordering on mystical understanding of uh, you know stress response. I, I-, I don't buy that.
0: I, I don't that know any be- be- that thats smart. Because a lot of the the expectations for improvement, the time courses match up with what you would expect for time courses for dose escalation. So after four weeks, we're going to introduce X substance into the system, and we're going to expect your performance to rise when we know that biological adaptation, the time course is significantly slower than, than what these old – like you're saying, these old periodization models were predicting. And even with the – Lining up like contest preps and long term timelines
3: as well, the show date and end goal is dictated based off of wh- where doses are at with things and times where doses are lower, and making sure that health is on the forefront. Um, so usually, you know, the supplements pretty much dictate how we timeline things.
2: One hundred percent. And anyone who thinks otherwise, you know, literally is. Is either has their head in their in the sand or just has some something to sell that's
0: contrary to that because that's the reality of it. And so when when I think what people get the most neurotic is when they leave that phase of early gains like Paul was talking about. I, I would honestly say you've made probably ninety percent of your progress from day one to I mean year three. Maybe, maybe even shorter than that, you've probably made most of the progress that you're going to make into your life. And that last 10% is when people begin to get overly neurotic and actually more times than not shoot themselves in the foot. Is that something that you would agree with, Roger?
2: Um, Yes, very much. And it's also, you know, coincidentally, again, I can't back off, I'm this guy. But I also think that's when the conversation of pharmacology should come into the equation.
1: You know, and I think you're, You're right when you say that, Ryan. I think the only reason we can protract the sort of time it takes to make the majority of your natural gains is because like a lot of us, we start lifting with no sort of guidance or insight. We learn something, we start eating more protein, we get a burst of gains, we learn how to train a little better, we get a burst of gains. And so like if you did have the correct guidance and you did a lot of things right from day one, you probably would cap out sooner than year three.
2: (laughs) Comically, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but if you uh, there's there's three really, really useful bits of it of literature. Uh, And I'm going to say a name that makes many people kind of panic and pull away. But the, the old high intensity crowd, Arthur Jones himself published three manuals called the Nautilus bulletins. One, two, and three. And one of the things that Jones mentioned in the Nautilus, the original, I think it was Bolton One, was that something on the order of 36 months should be indicative of your life's potential progress. Yeah. And from 1972, I think, so literally almost as old as I am, that you know, piece of information has been out there and just pretty shamefully ignored.
0: And one thing that I, I hear friend of the channel Lyle McDonald talk about quite a bit is he ta- because people always talk about you know if I had had the guidance from day one I would be so much further along at this point and quite frankly they're they're just wrong like the the, yeah. the thinking is backwards you would have just arrived at your genetic potential at a sooner point. So yep, being a complete dumbass on day one actually probably allowed you to enjoy a longer honeymoon phase of gains as you kind of learn things along the way instead of, you know, knowing everything from day one. Yep, 100%. And the 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 thing that,
2: again, you, you know, kind of what you pointed out is what people don't realize is the correct answers are usually reductions in all things. And it would it would literally you know, starting court properly would literally just make it almost unexciting and uninteresting
0: in, yeah. in my opinion yeah i mean how many of your favorite lifting stories are from when you first started and you were just doing the dumbest shit you could think oh, of
2: 100 percent. now admittedly pretty much all of my stories involve drugs but even still <laughs> i do some really really terrible terrible shit like just awful just bad beyond explanation i mean i I literally we we literally had a deadlift bar in in our in our residence in our in our living area and we would literally just load like you know 500 pounds on the bar and do like two, two reps every 15 minutes for all waking hours like shit like that like just you know just just the most absurd things that humans can do like but it was hysterical. It was fucking hysterical.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's we volume, talked. Yeah. We talked muscle gain, <laughs> let's, let's flip it. Let's go fat loss. When we're starting to set up a fat loss plan, where, where do you start? I mean, again, you're kind of well, hard going back to the keep in, energy. Keep in, mind, keep in mind
2: outside of legitimate contest prep. And I'm not, I'm not trying to either besmirch nor, uh, elevate to some, you know, crystalline castle, but contest prep, people throw that word around so fucking casually, the reality of the number of people on this planet that lift weights and enjoy the, you know, the, the bodybuilding lifestyle, the actual number of people that ever need to even know anything about contest prep is a fucking such a small decimal point, it might as well not be in the conversation. I, I really think that's an important thing for people to understand. 99 and a huge decimal point beyond it of people that are interested in body composition are not actually interested in bodybuilding prep. Okay? Yes. So that's important. And again, it's ignored. Um, people always like to jump to the most extreme version of everything, which is a horrible idea. So what I'm getting at is my approach, my concept, my methodology, my whatever you want to fucking call it is exactly the same as my mass phase it just involves less calories that's it there's no goddamn difference it's just a matter of energy balance
0: yeah and again people talk you know about periodizing fat loss through the year, nutritional progression models or plans that allow for a lifetime of successful fat loss phases. I mean, again, do you make what the same thing out of- What they're missing there, no, they're, they're missing there. What, what they're not telling you is,
2: buy a dictionary and look up these fucking words. <laughs> if you have a lifetime of fat loss ahead of you, it means you have a lifetime of being fucking fat. Well, look, look at that! That's not bodybuilding. Wait wait wait, 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 wait! Seriously, oh, you got a lifetime of fat loss? You have a lifetime of fat to lose? That's a long time. That's a lot of fat. How fucky fat are you? A lifetime? For fuck's sake! I got other shit to do. Don't get fat. Don't get fat. Don't get fat. There's your answer. There's, there's your answer. And even if you fuck it up and you do get fat, get lean once. Then you're done. Then don't get fat again. What the fuck? What, what is this? What is this? Like, look these words up. Write it down and read it to yourselves. What the fuck did you just say? A lifetime of fat loss? A fucking, a fucking woolly mammoth doesn't have a lifetime of fat loss even they died of fucking hunger what the fuck is a lifetime of fat loss that's insanity
0: <laughs> but I, I know and I know that you've seen it and I'm sure that when you see it I it... fucking eyelids <laughs> drooping for fuck's sake but it, and, it, and it gives me a similar, admittedly, a little smaller uh, stroke when I see people talking about this stuff as well. They talk about, you know, how am, am I setting myself up successfully for fat loss phases down the line? But your point, which is a very salient one, is you lose the fat once and then what do you do, Broderick? Gain muscle. Since muscle is
2: the only thing in the human body that metabolizes fat, having more muscle might come in handy down the line.
0: Yes, thank you. Good, Good God, man. I need these. I need these things answered in my life. So when when you are transitioning, so you know, we finished. We've <laughs> we've finished our lifetime of fat loss, Broderick. <laughs> And now we're transitioning over into that post-dieting phase. And this is something that Lyle talks about a lot, you know, not getting fat in that post-diet, that post-fat loss phase. What what does that look like for you? How do you make that transition for your athletes going from more of a fat loss focus moving over?
2: Okay. All right, let's let's jump ahead to an actual contest prep, which again nice I said is it. the most extreme version, and again, doesn't apply to almost anyone. We've dieted down to, you know, 30 millimeters over nine sites, you know, literally low single digit body fat percentage, 5% or something. Although percentages really start to break down at those numbers, but that's why I typically reference millimeters. You know, I use a Perillo nine site, but you can use whatever, Jackson Pollock, anything, I don't care. Nine, you know, I use nine sites. I get a, most people in reasonable shape can see their abs, you know, that kind of thing. That's, you know, 70 or 80 millimeters over nine sites. Contest prep, IFBB Pro, 28 or 30. 30 is a good target. So we're there. So now this is where, like, seriously, you're going to have moments of confusion. But you look at this linear model and you went from you know, 90 millimeters down to 30. And there's a training progression of volume that went up to achieve that. And there's a progression of cardio that went up to get that. And there's a progression of calories that went down to get to that. Okay. And a progression of added pharmacology layouts to get to that. Here's what you do. Okay. So you've got this, this escalation, you know, going this way and this way to a target. Okay. Oh, map here. So you've got this. Okay. Okay. All right. Wait for it. Wait for it. Over, and now it goes this way Uh you just turn it over so you took the last move you did was to take 50 calories out you put them back and then the week before that you took 50 calories out you put them back and you linearly escalate in the almost identical fashion to the linear de-escalation you do the same thing with the pharmacology you do the same thing with the training volumes and lo and behold you don't get fat and the reductions in stresses and the escalation in substrates manifests in slow, measurable, incremental forward progress.
3: I've got a question for you. When you have someone exiting out of a contest prep, and I know you don't like to put little titles and words on things, um, but I'm sure you've heard of a recovery diet, correct? No. No? I don't think my fingers mayors. I don't know. I don't know. So it, it's essentially adding, what,
1: anywhere from seven uh, to ten? Yeah, the idea is to return to a settling point or a more um, normal walking around weight where the issues you had while dieting, the increased hunger, disturbed sleep, all of those things are should dissipate as quickly as possible post-contest prep. So, for most people, that might be like what a 10% gain in weight body yeah. weight
0: so the, to 200 the, pounds. The way they outline it is they want you 5 to 10% over your stage body weight within the first four to six weeks post competition. And uh, I, I think that, I think a lot of that comes from the sex hormone side of things as well. So for women, it's a rapid increase in body weight and body fat to restore the menstrual cycle. And for men, it's a rapid increase in body weight and body fat so that your dick starts working again. I think that's a big underlying factor of it as well. And something that Roger may not agree with there is that when you step into the pharmacological side of things, those things start not to matter anymore because, like you said, you've got your store bought superpowers. You don't need to worry about increasing your body fat. Except for
1: just some of the other factors, like potentially the increased hunger. You know, maybe not. It's protracting that out too long, and like I said, the sleep, uh, mood disturbances, whatever.
2: Those are yeah, probably all relevant concerns to someone, but not me. Um.
0: <laughs> so, and again, bad labels on it, but it it seems like the and that escalations or the smaller increases in calories would mix more on the kind of like reverse dieting side of things. You like your contest prep is a car. You're going full speed ahead. Roderick is just saying, just put it in reverse and go backwards at the same speed that you were moving downward. Correctly. Correct there.
2: Very approximately. Now those again, in my world, those though, your basic steps and organizations are concurrent and linear. The reality is the progress won't be concurrent and linear because chances are, in almost all cases, in a post-contest environment, pharmacology is wildly truncated. So results are going to be different.
0: Yeah.
1: Also, I think, you know, a lot of we've been exposed to a lot of how the natural community and I guess a larger community now is taking up the The long diets that they've sort of, you know, contest preps 20 to 30 weeks, and you're speaking, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, from the perspective of how many enhanced uh, clients take on shorter preps, 12, 16, um, their starting preps probably – most of the time in a leaner spot so they can do these along with having the pharmacology to do the shorter prep. So your reverse diet, although it sounds like it could be something really protracted and long, it's really not.
2: Again, yeah, the, the, a, a very rough idea. Again, and contest prep is such a unique thing that it really doesn't apply to almost anyone listening to this. But for the sake of example, uh, my rough post-it note rule on contest prep is – Jump into decks and get a measurement. Okay, you're 15% body fat. You're 14. You have a number. I typically say that plus two weeks is your prep window. So your body fat percentage plus two weeks is about how long it should take you to get in shape. So once again, there's efficiency in not being fat.
0: So that that bring, actually brings up a good question that I've had for quite some time: the side effects post diet are more influenced by the length of the diet itself or the body fat at the end of the diet.
2: One hundred percent
0: time time course. It's that's you, people try to make that goofy argument. You know, you,
2: Paul Borison was a really really smart dude. He tried to make that argument in pharmacology. and it doesn't work. If you have two identical bottles of – if you have two identical twins and you have two identical bottles of Dianabol in front of them, and one brother takes one tablet every day for 100 days, and one brother takes 100 tablets all at once, they both took exactly the same dose. However, the dose distribution over time radically affects the outcome. No different when – just because you're talking about a drug, it's a stimulus. Dieting or behavior is a stimulus. The stimulus over time still affects –
0: the same sort of protracted results so so what do you make of these individuals that are advocating for these preps that are immensely long 34 36 40 week diets where we're <laughs> aiming to lose 0. 0.2 0. 0.3 pounds of body fat per week
2: i i pay me more money you need you need me more <laughs> there's, and to be fair there's needy people out there that need they they need you know attention they need people they're paying for a friend they're paying for interaction they they need and it's a wonderful match but i'm not gonna talk to them and i'm not gonna be annoyed by them i just fucking move on
0: oh. so move a little quicker is your is your theory on contests? prep start a little leaner move a little quicker you won't have those side effects at the end
2: well i mean you probably still will but like everything else in a drug-driven environment the the, the changes will be faster because the means to which you're leveraging things is stronger.
0: See, Paul, I told you, diet fast, get that shit over with. No one likes to be in a diet for too long. Be done, get it over with.
3: Paul, Paul's perfectly we, fine.
0: He did a forty-week prep. I was I was really fucking somehow. fat though.
1: Like I I also lost like forty-five fucking pounds.
3: We, we finished that one, and Paul's like, "Yeah, I'm never starting a prep like that ever again."
0: No. <laughs> mm <laughs> Paul, should with me. All right, let's move on to our next topic of the day. It's something that's gotten a lot of hype recently, a little bit of debate in the community here. Um, one, Eric Trexler has commented on it. Uh, Dr. Eric Helms as well. I believe there's a podcast coming out with Steve Hall. I don't know. Sometime soon here that has Isretel, uh, Dr. Ezetel and Trexler on it to discuss uh, what people love to hype up. And it is the, the P ratio. So I wrote down a, a very just kind of rudimentary definition of the P ratio here, fraction or portion of an energy imbalance, and that can be a surplus or deficit accounted for by the body's gains or losses in total protein reserves. That sounds about right. Anything you want to add to that? That's pretty simple. Yeah, we could work with that. That Mm -hmm. could be our working definition. Um, So Roger, question for you, because people are increasingly obsessed with this number, and I see it appear more and more now, how much stock should we really be placing in optimizing the P-ratio? How how do we optimize the P-ratio? And then how much should we worry about that in terms of utilizing semi-frequent mini-cutting phases, keeping body fat on the lower side, keeping insulin sensitive, all, all, all that?
2: Well, the 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 real answer is so uh, a a biz, you know well, embarrassingly obvious. The, the way you maxim maximize that ratio is take drugs. That's what drugs do. So so basically, you can just close the entire argument right there. The application of synthetic androgens maximizes protein retention, therefore maximizes muscle retention, therefore minimizes fat gain, therefore maximizes your P ratio. The conversation's over. Shortest podcast in all fuck time. So. So there, There's your answer. Now, if you want to fucking jibber jabber yammer on about a bunch of fucking chicken neck fucking naturals, don't involve me in a conversation because I don't like them. I don't care. I so don't
1: care. So I I have a perspective where I'm I just wonder who the fuck does the conversation even matter for, because when we just talked about this, naturals only have so much they can fucking gain anyway, right? And so the people that are worried about this fucking P ratio, they've been they 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 already have their three to five years of training and they're trying to eke out the the smallest bit of gains they can and then on the enhanced side well you have drugs like some of the biggest strongest fucking people in this world are fucking fat you know like a lot of these top world strongest men at, at various points they've been Eddie Hall was fat as shit he's still fucking he's lost weight and he's fat as fuck like <laughs>
2: <laughs> to me it's just an insanity like Again, distill this down to the post-it note concept. If you are a natural athlete, what variables are available to you? You have your genetics, which are invariable. You can't change them. You have lifestyle, which is mildly improvable, but chances are, to, to his you know point, chances are they're already invested in the lifestyle of bodybuilding and therefore essentially maximized. What's left? Some kind of goofy fucking herbal supplement, some kind of nutty ass deer antler or fucking you know rodent testicle. But beyond that, the only other modular item is the one they're not willing to touch, which is drugs. So what is all the yammering about? What is the conversation? You can only manipulate calories and training volume. Do that. Do that to your heart's fucking content. That's all you got.
0: Yeah, and the conversation is a kind of a conversation, and it's it's just just, it's just people driving themselves insane for the sake of 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 going insane. I can imagine that that Broderick, your purgatory, your torture is you're a natural bodybuilder. You're obsessed with a P ratio, so you're using six week massing mixed in with four week mini cutting phases every ten weeks. You're just bouncing the ball back and forth. I'm gonna mass. Oh no, I think I'm 21% body fat. Need to be 20 to maximize. My P ratio is that about is that about hell for you? Um,
2: probably pretty close. I mean, you know, there was, you know, maybe I'd have to like, you know, intermittent in between workouts, in between my double split, I'd have to do fucking podcasts with fucking natural idiots. That would probably, you know, that would probably be the only thing worse. Um, we could talk for twenty minutes about you know, protein variety, whether it's better to have you know, casein or whatever other protein they don't understand
0: just yeah that (laughs) way so putting the people's mind at ease here your general recommendation is if you are unwilling to enter the world of the enhanced side you should worry about training you should worry about eating in a surplus that will maximize muscle gain and minimize fat loss or minimize fat gain and that's it that is the end of it close the book and shut the hell up
2: literally i would set an upper and lower limit You know, of whether you use millimeters or percentage or whatever, whatever you diagnostic modality is available to you, you would say, I don't want to be leaner than 80 millimeters. I don't want to be fatter than 110. And then I would literally have a constant sine wave, like every bio, literally every biological function, the pulsile release of growth hormone, insulin, testosterone, all the precious things. All these people talk about the blood plasma values are. A a low, flat sine wave. That's how I would do that. A low, flat sine wave of I would allow myself to accrue a small amount of body fat till I approached whatever I put as my cap. And when I get to that cap, I would pull back on a bit of (laughs) calories, i.e. carbohydrates, and I would diminish a little bit to give me some of the room. So in a sense, the bulk and cut is a real thing, but it's much narrower and much more protracted, and it's not jammed into bouts of gluttony and starvation. That's called mania. That's not called athletics.
0: I mean, what's the what's the percent difference in terms of muscle gained over a lifetime for an athlete who will for, let's say, a male athlete who allows themselves to get to 28 percent body fat and 25 percent? It's it's it has to be negligible. It just has to be. Not only is it negligible, it might
2: actually be opposite of what people think. It might actually be better. The, the, the actual retention of nitrogen might be higher in a fatter individual because a fatter individual typically has better leverages and therefore can lift greater loads. So I'm not even – see, that's the thing is these assholes use this word. This is the the buzzword in the natural community is optimized. They're going to optimize everything. They're going to optimize their TRT. They're going to optimize their insulin sensitivity, and the reality is that's – a fucking fool's errand because that word is incredibly too inspecific. What are you optimizing? In bodybuilding, in physique minded sports, whether it's to win a trophy or just to get laid, in physique minded concepts, the optimization is a trade off between the absolute most progress you can make in one compartment and your presentation. At some point, you put an upper cap on, I just don't want to be fatter than X because I don't like the way it looks. Or I don't think that the people that should be looking at me don't like it. That's how that works.
0: Yeah, so you're saying that it's more rooted in... You know, people being vain and wanting to maintain a certain aesthetic and then deriving theories around different P ratios, insulin sensitivity, blood glucose levels, as opposed to actually optimizing it.
2: Yeah, 100 percent, of course. And Mm. then they just they just use language that kind of placates their own preferences. That's the age old concept between fitness and fatness. You, you can have, you can have, there are people, in the, there are players in the NFL, world-class athletes playing the NFL that are clinically obese, but they have good blood pressure, good heart rates, good insulin sensitivity. They have high levels of fitness. How do you, how do you weigh that out? How, how can someone have fitness and fatness at the same time?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how,
2: how is what, that? What, person, what are you optimizing that... there? Oh, you're optimizing the ability to put your head down and smash into another human being at 30 fucking miles an hour. That's what you're optimizing. Yeah. See, it just comes, yeah. down to, it comes down to specificity. You have to use language like a precision device, not this just blanket, like i paint painting a barn. just, I'm optimizing. Oh, fuck. <laughs>
1: I like how you brought up the trade off with optimization, because like, yeah, a lot of people don't understand, or at least I feel if you're doing everything you can like to gain as much muscle as possible, like you're probably going to gain some fat. And if you're doing everything you can to lose as much fat as
2: possible, you're going to be in a catabolic state like. <laughs> well, once again, people again, people just don't I, apparently they don't own dictionaries. Has anyone taken the time to realize that the metabolism of fat is inherently defined as catabolic. catabolism? Yeah. It's catabolic. So this idea that you can be anabolic and catabolic at the same time, well, that's not in my dictionary. That that's not a that's not that's I don't have that page. I wish I did, but I
0: don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm I'm going catabolic. I'm going catabolic just listening to this conversation right here. Well that's the thing is if
2: these assholes with the bulk and cut and the mini cut and the micro micro cut and the whatever if they actually <laughs> used the language that was appropriate, like anabolic and catabolic or you know hypo and hyperchloric and the, if they actually used the correct language and they said that out loud, they would be offended at their own words. They would
0: be appalled
2: by what they just said.
0: <laughs> oh yeah i couldn't i mean this has been a, a 45 minute exhibit in confirming my own bias and i've had nothing but a great time having it done paul anything you wanted to circle back to cam anything you wanted to visit i'm good i think that was great a great discussion a great discussion <laughs> as a project as always let the people know sure. where they can find you the membership site uh post-covid world tour tickets um your new band that you just started where can they find you on spotify all that good stuff
2: um well the short answer is all of my uh goodness is the same uh if i am there any social network any domain any anything it is at teamevilgsp.com. so my website my instagram facebook youtube uh, Twitter, whatever the shit I have is teamevilgsp.com so that's how you find me if you go to the main website which is teamevilgsp.com you will find a link to the member site um, which I have, uh, 15 bucks a month 150 bucks a year I have, oh shit, probably approaching 200 hours of live Q&As recorded, produced uh, about 200 hours of independent uh, material on peds sports performance nutri- diet nutrition training etc uh and of the last six months i've been getting more and more material that's not me so i've been bringing in other people uh so the the, the 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 site's taking on a bit more width and birth a little bit more diversity but that's that's pretty much what i've got going is
0: what's um what would be your hot take right now on the tokyo 2021 olympics it happens or it doesn't happen you know
2: um I think they're about to engage in exactly what the Arnold classics did. You know, the Arnold classics went from, you know, spring to June to August to now they're saying September 11th for the Arnold Ohio. Yep. And I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I was given kind of a wink and a nudge that that September 11th is just a holding place for a final uh till until next year. Um, so I'm fully expecting the 2021 Arnold Classic, at least Ohio, to not happen. And I'm working with a number of athletes for Tokyo, and we're also of the opinion that there'll probably be some sort of postponement, possibly relocation, Followed by, oh, fuck it, we just can't do this. Fuck yeah.
0: I, I, I think that even if somehow the games goes on, you're going to have so many countries that either can't bring athletes, don't want to bring athletes, that it's going to be so diluted to the point where it's basically just not the Olympics anymore.
2: Well, the truth is the Olympics haven't
0: been the Olympics for probably the last
2: you know four or five iterations with, you know, doping bands and bullshit and all the things and athletes jumping nations and so the the reality is the the olympics are probably a failed fading idea anyway this will probably just hasten it to l- let's just you know have professional sports and skip this bullshit
0: yeah okay i can get down with that as long as weightlifting isn't canceled as long as i get to see lasha uh snatch and clean a jerk at least a couple more times in competition i'll, I'll be good with that All right, guys, as always, thanks for coming by. Like, comment, subscribe, all that YouTube shit, the algorithm. What does it do? Stays fucking your boy. So get us get us all the way to the top. Take us to the moon. We want to get that sweet, sweet ad revenue so I can buy a sweet island in Sri Lanka and retire in peace. As always, folks, stay gifted.